when he gave me life. I was dead in my sins, hopeless, any dream of life crushed. In the grip of darkness, without any true source of light, chose me when I had nothing to offer him, but that's who he is. His love flowed through my soul. He said, awake, awake. Let me ask you a question, how many, and if you don't know the answer, that's okay too, but how many of you, whether you're here, home, in the sanctuary or the foyer, how many of you know the Easter story? Can I see your hands, please? I'm not talking about bunnies, I'm talking about the biblical story. How, come on, come on, how many of you know the Easter story? Okay, I would say about 98% of us, I can't tell online, but I'm going to assume that's true, with foyer, I'm going to assume that's true. Okay, so 98% of us know the story. Here's what's challenging. The more you know a story, you live from memory, not from meaning. Which means that you and I, listen, there are no cliffhangers. You all know, we just sang about it for 30 minutes, Jesus rose from the dead. There's nothing I'm going to say that you're like, to the end of the message, you're going to be like, and you know the story. We know how to dress for it, but don't we, do we know how to live in it? We know the story, but is the story, is his story, is it our story? And just because you're a follower of, Je a follower of Jesus, if you are, and if you're not, you are so welcome here. But if you're not, if you are a follower of Jesus, just because you are doesn't mean that you're living in resurrection power. See, Good Friday, we see Jesus and we see God's solution of love for what is most wrong in us in the world, which is sin. But Easter Sunday is all about power, and resurrection power specifically is what we're looking at today. However, God's power then and in our day isn't the only power that is active in your life and in the world today. God's work is forever finished on the cross, and everyone said, but it's not final in the sense that there are still things that God is working in and unfolding in each of our stories. And to see clearly what I'm talking about today, we can't just start at Calvary's tree, we have to go all the way back to a specific tree in Genesis chapter three. Oh, that rhymed. Hmm. Genesis 3, verse 1 to 5 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, God is, and everybody say good. good. God is. God is. He's good. And from his goodness, he declares certain things good and other things not. 
and the wrestle with humanity that we're about to see, which still unfolds in our story today, is you and I desire to be God and therefore be arbiters of what is good and what is not. And the woman said to the serpent, or did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, God said something very specific to Adam and Eve. He said, any tree, but not this singular tree. Any tree, but not this one tree. I want you to think about the power of God's generosity. The entire garden was theirs except one tree. If I were to say today, I'm going to give you $100 million, but there's only one catch. You have to give $1 million of it back to me. How many of you would still want the gift? Some of you are like, I'm gonna have to think about that. What is wrong with you? Like if you got zero now and you're going to increase by 99 million, but you're only going to have to give a million, it's a good deal. I want you to know that pales in comparison to what humanity had because they had the fullness of the garden and the fullness of God's presence. But there is something about when God says, don't touch this one thing. Okay, how many of you have ever, how many of you have ever been in school before? Can I see your hands please? <laughs> Do you remember in school or university or college when a teacher or a professor put a test on your desk upside down and said these words to you? Don't turn it over. Everything in you was like, gonna turn that over. I was totally fine until you told me not to turn it over. Now all I wanna do is turn it over. All I want to do is turn it over and see what I do not know. (laughs) Satan comes along and notice precisely his power different from God's power. God basically says to Adam and to Eve and to humanity, everything is yours, including my presence, but just, just not this one tree. It's the weight of you knowing good and evil because you are not me. That is too heavy for humanity. And Satan comes along. And what does his power do? Precisely what it does today. Seeks to erode our trust in God. Darkness draws Eve to see this only tree. And where there was once a settled trust in God, the enemy sows doubt. And the power of darkness always tries to thwart what it is that God establishes. And this power wrestle is evident on the very first Resurrection Sunday, and it is evident in each one of our stories, each one of our relationships, each one of the organizations we're a part of, and yes, this church, this power wrestle. You see, Jesus was crucified on a Friday, and in the wake of the disciples' failure and fear of an unknown future, They begin to scatter. And you can imagine, again, not from memory, we know the story, but from meaning. You can imagine for them what they must have felt like on that moment when they see Jesus absolutely brutally crucified and shamed. And understanding, man, if the Jewish community turned Jesus over, what are they gonna do to us? And then from this place of fear, from this place not of peace, of fear and doubt and disillusionment. Man, we're following this guy. We've given everything to follow him and now he's died. And they begin to encounter what every single follower of Jesus from that moment till this moment encounters. 
Which power we trust fluctuates when Jesus, when Jesus isn't where we think he should be or is doing things that we don't think he should be doing. This was the profound wrestle on the inside of them. Do I continue to trust in Jesus or do I trust in myself or for some disciples, do I trust in darkness? On Sunday morning, a group of women go to where they believe Jesus will be. And unlike darkness, Jesus, please hear me with both ears in your whole heart, Jesus always meets us where we are, not where we should be. There is nobody who has come to faith by in their own strength getting where they needed to go. That is not the gospel whatsoever. The one thing that is different between Christianity and every other religion or ism in the world is this word called grace, undeserved mercy. But on the first day of the week, as Joseph read during worship, at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. This is the women now. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood among them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bound their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? And that, loved ones, is a profound question. Why do we look for life in dead things? Why do we look for life in things that we know are temporal? I've used this example before, I'll use it again. How many of you ever got a new phone? And you love said phone, this is the best said phone, it is the everything. And then in three years, you know what you want? The next one. Anybody here in their life ever jealous of someone else? Can I see your hands? Oh, okay, anybody here ever lie? Can I see your hands? <laughs> Everyone, not me, you just did. <laughs> you and I, sometimes we seek for life in dead things. Oh, there's pleasure in them for a season, but eventually they lead to death. See, the, angel, the, the, the enemy always comes as an angel of light masquerading whom he truly is. But I want you to see a profound difference in a moment when it comes to Jesus. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you that while still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day. Rise. How many of you here in life have ever gone through some stuff? That what you knew then you went through, and as you went through, you forgot what you knew. I've had it happen again and again and again. God, you are my provider. And then I get a bill that is too big for the provision that I have, and I have to learn to remember who he is, not now what I know. And in this moment, we face a wrestle. God, you are healer, and then you receive a diagnosis, and the diagnosis shocks everything about what you believe, and then again, you're in that place. This is not just a biblical story, this is the story of every single one of us that we're looking at. Remember, Jesus said this is exactly what's going to happen. And then it says, and they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. I love the 
the book of Luke, but I love one particular detail from the book of Matthew. They all correspond, all beautiful, because it actually says that as the women leave the empty tomb and they begin to head to where the other 11, the disciples are, it says that Jesus meets them, and specifically it says the women are filled with two things. They are filled with great joy and great fear. I can relate, and I know you can too. In life, sometimes we are filled with great joy and simultaneously great fear. I will never forget the day that I graduated from university, a miracle in and of itself. (laughs) I'll never forget. You graduate from university and it is great joy. And then the question is, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? Great fear. I will never forget standing at an altar with Lori. And they said, you are now husband and wife. A role I was uniquely unqualified for. (laughs) And I remember on our honeymoon taking off my wedding ring and just saying, I am so, I'm really young. I'm really young. I don't know if I can do, I don't know. And Lori's like, it's too late, it's already done. (laughs) Which I'm sure inspired her with nothing but confidence. That's not a funny story, that actually happened. So if you're on your honeymoon, that is, that's just the stupidity. Don't ever do that. Keep those thoughts on the inside, okay? I just want to share everything. Don't share everything. Do you know what they had the audacity to do? Audacity to do to us? When Laura, pardon me, I was just about to say like, hey, how many of you know that we as a culture believe in equality? Why were you hesitant like because you knew it was a setup, you knew it was. We believe in equality, but I was just about to say like, hey, when Lori and I gave birth, that's too far. I didn't give birth to nothing, nothing at all. I just stood there and was like, you're doing great, you're doing great. Um, And I almost passed out in the first time, but again, it's not about me, but nevertheless. Do you know what they had the audacity to do? They had the audacity, they had the audacity to tell us, after we gave birth to each of our four kids, that we could take them home without supervision. (laughs) They didn't have a manual, nothing. They just simply said, they're yours. Lori, I think this one's yours. (laughs) Right? No, they're ours. Here's what I know, here's what I want you to know is distinctly different. We're humans, so we are filled with great joy but also great fear. And we could use examples like I just did, but here's what I want you to know. That when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, it is altogether different than graduating from university or getting married, if that's in your story, or whether it is having kids, if that's in your story or not. It's it's not, because in those things you feel like, man, we're all alone doing this. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, when it comes to following me, it's not you do it alone. It's I will never leave you. I will always be with you. So even when you fail, you and I can experience this thing called resurrection power. And when you fail, and when great fear and great joy collide, it wants to drive your soul. And it's into this moment where Jesus meets them right where they're at. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, and the mother of James and the other women remember and believe, but the 11 disciples doubt. And this is something that we like to just weave in every single Easter, or at least I like to weave it in every single Easter. And it usually gets a huge applause by the women, and the men begrudgingly clap. But here's what I want you to know. 
tantamount to the gospel and the doctrine and the theology and the stuff of the scriptures. That's a, that's a Hebrew way of saying the power and the theology, the stuff of scripture. Powerful. That was a joke. <laughs> tantamount to that, though, is the theology and the belief of the resurrection of Jesus. And do you know who Jesus entrusted the message of the resurrection with to first? The women. Some of you are like, hmm. (laughs) And the women told the men, and the men didn't believe them. See, it's not that much different. The world hasn't changed that much. The The word seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Remember, whose, where trust wanes, doubt increases, and whose power we trust most fluctuates when Jesus isn't where he thinks, where we think he should be. The most powerful steering wheel of your soul are these two things of trust and doubt. If you want to know the direction of your your soul, discover in what you really trust and where you truly doubt. Their presence isn't a problem, but where they can direct you can become profoundly problematic for your life. It's Sunday night and doubt has driven the disciples to disbelief. And it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jewish people. Again, if this is what happened to Jesus, what is going to happen to us? We are his followers. They are living in fear. They are secluded in a room together. They've got the door lock, and it says, Jesus just came. He ignored the lock. He came, and he stood among them, and here's what he said to them. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Shalom be with you. Here's what I want you to see really quickly. Notice Jesus doesn't calm the circumstances. He calms them in the midst of the circumstances. Because everything that they're fearing, plot twist, is actually going to come true. Most of them are going to be martyrs simply because they bear the name of Jesus. And so, man, I I cannot jive with, get with a type of Christianity that is happy and clappy and doesn't meet the real reality of our human brokenness and our need for Christ. I love the resurrection story that pulls in these disciples who will become the apostles of the church that we will look at and acts do extraordinary things. And here they are in great fear. It's not because they didn't have faith. It's because they were in the midst of a storm. And it says this. In one sense, I should say, Resurrection Sunday morning begins with women at the tomb marveling how Jesus isn't where they expected, but by that night, it's Jesus' turn because resurrection is a great reversal. You see, in humanity, we see in a garden in the book of Genesis being disobedient to God, disobedient to the Father, which is every single one of our stories and conditions. Yet we fast forward to the Easter story and we see Jesus in a garden 
garden, being fully obedient to the will of his father. He is redeeming everything that was lost. Humanity, we see when sin enters the story of each of our lives, in sin and shame, they hide behind a tree from God, Jesus for our and taking upon his body, our sin and shame hangs naked on a tree, redeeming everything that was lost. Humanity, we see in the book of Genesis in a garden that the ground becomes cursed and in it is it takes great work to get life out of it and thorns and thistles and we fast forward to the Easter story and we see a crown of thorns placed upon Jesus' head that that which cursed he takes upon himself. Jesus appears to the disciples asking them a piercing question from love and it's this. It is not just that we know the story of where Jesus is. The Easter story invites you and I to have Jesus ask us the question, why are you where you are? Jesus breaks into the room not to get into the room. Jesus breaks into the room where the disciples are to get them out of the room, to get them from where they were to living into what it is that he intended them to live. And so the story of Easter is not just can we say he is risen, though it is that absolutely. He is the center, he is the hero, he is the focus. The story of Easter is also Jesus asking us this powerful question. Again, whether you're in the room, you're in the foyer, you're at home, why are you where you are? When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Do you remember a couple of minutes ago when I said that the enemy always comes as an angel of light masking right who he is? I want you to know Jesus never hides anything in life, including the beating and the bruising that he took for our behalf. He comes precisely as he is. Think about this for a moment with me. Everything in the Easter story shows God's love for humanity, yes? So God loves people who will never love him back and he loves us anyways. You may be here today, and your heart is so cold towards God, I want you to know that there will never be a second, a moment, or an hour, or the day of a week, of a month, of a year, where God's affection will not be turned towards you. It does not matter what you do, you are not powerful enough to change God's love for you. He is that good. And because he's that good, he asks us the question, why are you where you are? The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord and Jesus said to them again, the same thing, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, what did he say? So I am sending you. In other words, why are you hiding in this room? This isn't where you're destined to live. But from the peace that only I can give, I am sending you. Jesus goes into those rooms Again, not only to get in, but to get them out, to get the disciples out from living in fear to back to living in faith, out of living in doubt back to living into an overcoming trust, out of living insecure of others into the secure abiding love of the Father. And if you think this is only for them, it's not. Watch what happens next. This is the ultimate FOMO moment, the fear of missing out moment. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Poor Thomas shows back up to the room like, did I miss anything? (laughs) Have you got a Thomas in your life? (laughs) Wherever the point is, they don't get it. (laughs) Poor Thomas. I feel like I would have been a Thomas. Like, I, I was just in the bathroom. Anything happened when I was there? Anything, anything, anything gone? Yeah, Jesus, the door was locked. He came in here. He said, 
pardon? Watch what he says. So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. Here's what Thomas replies. Unless I see his hands, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, one, two, three, four, four powerful words from Thomas, I will never believe. See, some of you don't believe because you have not experienced Jesus. Oh, I'm not saying you haven't experienced church, but you haven't experienced Jesus. And I want you to know that even the words, I will never believe, all you are is a Thomas in waiting. And Jesus loves you so much. Watch what happens next. For eight days, that's a long time. What Thomas believed was really powerful. It just wasn't truthful. I'm not saying what you believe isn't powerful. I'm just saying in light of who God is, is it truthful? And power wrestles deepest in this place when we believe certain things about ourselves that are powerful, but they're not necessarily truthful. And what Jesus does for the 11, he does for Thomas. Now watch the promise at the end. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas now was with them. He has smartened up. And all the doors were locked, same situation. Jesus came and stood among them and said the exact same thing, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but what? But believe. Thomas, I am inviting you into a power that you were not living into previously. I'm not saying what you experienced wasn't powerful, I'm just saying it's not true. I'm inviting you, Thomas, into resurrection power to believe something that is a greater truth than what it is that you believed. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God, and Jesus said to him, have you believed because you had seen? And now let's talk about all of us. Here's what Jesus says to each and every one of you. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is not just a story for the 11 and Thomas, this is my story and this is your story. The truth of Resurrection Sunday is that Jesus has overcome sin and hell and the grave. He's overcome the world, John 16, 33. And so even if you have succumbed to temptation, to doubt and to mistrust, I have great news. I have good news. Jesus will come and meet you too, right where you are. But Jesus won't only come to us to meet you where you are, he will come to lead you to where and whom you have absolutely be created to be. Why do churches fill on Easter Sunday? Well, I think it's because of tradition. I don't believe it. Some of you are here because your mom told you you got a good mom. But here's what I really believe. In a culture that is lost, in a culture that is sick, in a culture that is confused, in the midst of the world in which we live, there is something on the inside of every human, this ache for God, this ache for eternity, and the hope and the desire that the Christmas story and the Easter story would not just be a story, but the reality of every one of our stories. That I'm not just a cog in a wheel. I'm not just someone to be canceled. I'm not just an employee to be fired. I'm not just a person to be divorced. I'm not just a this. I'm not just a that. No, you are created in the image and likeness of God. God loves you with an everlasting love. And no matter what you've done, Jesus will meet you precisely where you are, not where you should be. But your enemy will always come along and he will whisper different words. He will remind you of every single failure. And when he does, I want you to point to the finished work of the cross and you don't even have to reply. Let it have the final word. 
You see, Jesus was wounded, but now he is risen. He was bruised, and he is now our healer. He was crushed, but he was never conquered. Jesus is our savior, but he's also our Lord. And resurrection power, loved ones, is not just about getting people into church. It is about getting the power of the gospel, the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us so that you and I make a Jesus-sized difference everywhere we go. It is about getting you into Christ, and then in Christ, getting all the power of sin and hell and death out of you, out of your family, out of his church, and out of the world's. My heart aches for what Christians have done historically in God's name. And yours should too. My heart aches for what Christianity and Christians have done in God's name. And some of you have lost faith because of what we've done. The resurrection story has that part too. You see 11 disciples where they shouldn't be, cowering in fear, but loved ones, without denying or dismissing or diminishing that reality. Our anchored hope should never be in what the church does. It should be in what Christ has done. And what Christ has done cannot be undone by what the church does. Oh, we need to confess and we need to repent and we need to lead the way in this way. But he is still, I want you to know, loved ones, he is still at work getting you and getting his church out of places we should never be or have been. Romans 16, 20 says it this way. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Under your feet. Everyone stand. Let's stand. It's going to feel like kids' church. You're going to do an action with me right now. Introverts, introverts, I picked on you in the beginning. I'm picking you on you again. Everyone do a little something for me. You ready? Take your feet and just do this. Okay, that's enough. Too much? (laughs) If you are tempted and you have fallen, then make your next steps an obedient step towards Jesus. Following Jesus is not simply praying a prayer. It is praying a prayer And then with every other step, allowing God to direct them, you take them, and as you do, you crush what the enemy desires as you walk into the purposes that God has for you. So the profound question, once again, is not whether you know this story, but which power are you living? Which power is active in your story as you live and walk? Put your hands out in front of you like this. I'd be honored to lead you in prayer. Together, let's say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me just the way I am, yet loving me enough not to leave me the way I am. I confess I'm a sinner, and I receive your grace. Be the savior of my life, and lead me out of every place that I am not destined to be. Amen. Happy Easter.